Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Angela Ficken. Angela is a full-time psychotherapist in private practice specializing in OCD, eating disorders, and anxiety-related concerns. She spent years building her business into something more than just a standard full-time private practice, writing for Huffington Post as an expert and eventually other major online sources. Through her writing and hearing from clients how difficult it can be to find an understanding therapist, one who can actually teach coping strategies to manage difficult emotions, she decided to create her Worried to Well-Balanced course to reach more people than those she can meet with in her office. The course is designed to help people who have significant stress in their lives and struggle to find ways of coping with stress and anxiety. In the episode, Angela shares how to set boundaries, how to think your way to feeling better, how to find a mantra that works for you, and more. Before we get to the episode, I quickly want to share one of my favorite resources with you, Dry Farm Wines. Did you know that alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles? That's how they're able to sneak sugar and other additives into their products. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come up with a solution. Their natural wines are lab tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and also free from other industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wine, even the top-rated expensive conventional wines can give me headaches and make me feel overall kind of gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products, as well as their top-notch customer service. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment or click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've struggled to lose weight and keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike one-size-fits-all, restrictive, quick-fix diets that only provide short-term results, I help my clients master the science-backed skills needed to lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at The Health Investment. All right, it's time to hear from Angela. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of The Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. 
Hi, Angela. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thanks, Brooke, for having me today. I would love if you could start off by sharing with myself, because I don't really know this, and the audience, what made you become a therapist in the first place? So, you know, the, the, it's been a long journey, uh, and I, I guess where it really started was when I was a little girl. I was um, probably around the age of 10, and I was in therapy. Uh, my parents had gotten divorced years before. They had separated when I was a baby, got divorced around when I was four. So by 10, it was, you know, I was quite used to them being apart. But I think it's when, um, you know, their dating life started to take off that that was a real struggle for me. And um, I'm sure some other things as, as 10 year olds with big emotions. And I saw a therapist, Dr. Thorbeck, and both of my parents were really supportive of that. Um, and she was like a relationship like no other. Uh, I could see her every week. I could tell her anything I wanted. And it was like the safe place to be. And I felt so held. Um, and I also just adored, like I adored everything about her. I loved her clothes. I loved her office. Um, and I remember thinking like, I want to do this <laughs> when I grow up. Uh, and so that's really where it started. Um, and I was thinking, like, had I not had this experience as a kid, would I be a therapist? I don't I don't know. Um, but it really felt like a calling, even at that little of an age, that I really enjoyed that relationship, but also um, how, you know, the process of helping people through their problems. Um so that's that's kind of where I got the kickstart at, you know, the young age of 10. That's cool. I've never heard a story like that, actually, of someone becoming a therapist because of this incredible, amazing therapist at such a young age. It kind of reminds me of how some people, myself included, take the teacher track in life because you have some really inspiring teacher who gets you into education and then you end up maybe following that path as I did for many years, but that's a really, that's a cool story. Yes. And if, um, uh, if Dr. Thorbeck is listening, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Have you ever connected with her since? I, you know what? I haven't, but now that I'm talking about her, maybe I will. <laughs> it would be yeah. cool. Cause that's another thing about being a teacher is sometimes kids contact you 10 years later and we'll say, I didn't appreciate you at the time, or I don't know if you knew this, but I loved your class and blah, 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 blah. And it's, it is really cool to hear because I think, especially when you're working with kids, you don't ever know maybe what they're getting from it, or they're not maybe as expressive as adults might be. Um, so yeah, that would be, that would be a cool reconnection to make maybe on Facebook. I feel like everybody's on there. Yes. And you know, if I do uh, get in touch with her, I will, I will actually let you know, <laughs> just to know yes. it goes. I'll keep you posted on that. But I, I do too. like when clients get in touch with me, um, like years later, um, or send me like, Hey, I got married. And it's been like 10 years since I've seen them. Like, this is so great. Just like seeing, um, their updates. It is, it's really lovely. So, um, yes, I will do that. Thank yeah. you, Brooke. All right. I can't wait. I know now I'm really invested in this story. Yeah. So I hope maybe they'll make a movie about it or something. You never know. <laughs> Uh, so I know you probably see, especially now I mentioned Facebook with the advent of crazy social media and people posting opinions about things 
all the time. Are there any common misconceptions about therapy that you love to debunk? Yes. I think, you know, there are three I tend to hear a lot. Um, one, the biggest one is I'm, you know, I'm not crazy. Only crazy people go to therapy. Um, that's a big myth. Uh, and trying to like debunk and, you know, the whole, like, what does crazy mean? Um, people kind of use that term pretty loosely. Uh, so that's one big myth. The other is kind of what happens in therapy, right? All I'm going to do is talk. Somebody's just going to sit there in this like seat, and I just talked for 50 minutes and that's it. Uh, and then the other one that I also get a lot is because I'm a therapist, I must know what you're thinking and feeling. Um, and that is also not true. Uh, that would be a, a superpower if I could do that. Um, but, you know, those are kind of the three biggest kind of myths that I hear and, um, really try to challenge people to think differently, especially when they get to me, if you're calling me uh, and it, you know, at least being interested in kind of what therapy might be about. Um, it's definitely not those three. Mm -hmm. Who then would you say should see a therapist? Everyone? Everyone. Yes. I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of it. Um, so even if you just go for a session or two and you're, you don't have, anything that you necessarily want to work on, um, you never know what you could get out of it. You know, the, the relationship with a therapist that you have is like a relationship you're not going to have with anybody else. You know, we're not your family member. We're not your partner. We're not your friend. It really is this different relationship where your, you know, judgment's not there. We're on your side and also not, you know, going to lead you down a path of danger um, it, you know, and, but it, it can be a really helpful relationship to have if you're looking for emotional growth. Um, so I am a fan of it. I do believe in it. Uh, and I do say everybody can go to therapy. You don't have to wait for a problem. It can just be even self-exploratory work of why do you think you do the things you do? Or if you're having some challenges at work and you're not quite sure, you know, how to get through it, um, you can you know, meet with somebody who is not your boss, not your coworker, uh, and not your mom who can kind of guide you through, uh, what makes most sense for you. So yes, I think everybody can benefit from therapy. You mentioned that one of the myths is that you're just going to go in there and talk and somebody's just going to kind of look at you. I don't know, maybe we've seen this portrayed in TV shows and movies. Is that a certain type of therapy? And then if it is someone listening, who's maybe curious about getting a therapist, is there more of a kind of interactional therapy that they could look for? I guess, like, how do you find the best therapist for you? Yes. Uh, so there's many different types of therapy, which is wonderful. There definitely is kind of more of a a type of therapy where you are doing more of the talking um, and that can kind of range more in the psychoanalysis. You're kind of lying on a couch or, you know, the therapist is behind you. There's a very specialized uh, therapy um, where you kind of do a significant deep dive into your history. It is not for everyone uh, and it is a big undertaking. You're kind of, if you're doing kind of true psychoanalysis, you are seeing 
uh, your therapist, you know, three to five times a week. It's a, it's a big kind of mission uh, and you're doing it because you want to do that, that type of heavy lifting. Psychoanalyst uh, is not for everyone, but that is one where you're probably doing a lot of talking um, and therapist is kind of taking notes and is more quiet, asking questions, but um, you know, you're, you're on your own in terms of your free thought, free forming thought. And then there's kind of more uh, conversational based therapy, which is kind of more my style. So while I do some psychodynamic therapy that's exploring, where do you think that comes from? How does that make you feel? Um, there's uh, a lot of behavioral work that I do. So a lot of that is cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, kind of looking at your negative thoughts that you have and challenging them. So therapy can also be coming in with a particular problem you want to work on and working on strategies and to kind of make those behavioral changes. So you're with a therapist and you're actively working together to challenge those thoughts. So you can kind of feel like you're going in for coaching uh, and uh, rather than kind of just sitting there and, and talking to somebody and having somebody stare at you for 50 minutes. So it, it definitely does range. Um, and how do you find the right fit is just based on kind of asking some questions to yourself. So what is, what is the issue you want to work on? Is it more family-based work? You want to talk about your relationship with your parents or your partner, or are you noticing that you're more stressed and anxious, so some social anxiety, or you're having some negative thoughts, or you're really stressed out at work? So based on kind of what you want to work on, you can start to kind of figure out what type of therapy you want to have. And sometimes, if you're even if you're not sure, just start by calling a therapist and asking them, hey, this is what I want to work on. How would you kind of help me solve this. I'm looking for someone who tends to be more proactive. I like having discussions. I want someone to help guide me. I'm not looking for someone to just listen to me. And then other times it's, I just want to vent. I just need somebody to listen to me. <laughs> so you can kind of get an idea of what you're looking for based on um, thinking about it more and also even maybe calling a therapist to get some guidance uh, in kind of what direction to go in. That's a really good point, I guess, of kind of interviewing, if you will, or finding the right fit for you, because it is going to be an investment of your time and money. So you want to be sure the person you're seeing is on the same page. Yes. And, and finding the, to have part of being, having good therapy is finding the right fit therapist. And sometimes that does take time, which is unfortunate, but when you do find your person, Oh my goodness, it can be one of the most amazing experiences uh, in just transforming your life. Um, so it is worth the legwork to find the right fit. Yeah, that makes sense. You have a really incredible, thorough blog on your website, and I always do some research behind the scenes before having a guest because I want to prepare questions and make the episodes as value, valuable as possible. And I was scrolling through your blog and I just saw all these amazing headlines or titles, if you will, and thought I just want to kind of put those out there and hear your thoughts on them. If you could kind of describe, people can obviously go to your blog and read more, but if you could kind of describe what you're meaning 
in those different posts. Does that work for you? If I just kind of read off some of the titles. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. You have one called how to set boundaries and improve your well-being. And I know boundaries are something a lot of us struggle with, whether it's with family, friends, work. What are your recommendations for boundary setting? Uh, so boundaries is a way of saying no and knowing your personal limits. And I think a lot of people who come to me, right, are there's some level of difficulty in setting personal limits. One, knowing what your limit is. How do you know when you're hitting up against a, I don't really want to do this anymore, or I've, I don't want to do it, or I'm not sure how to say no, but I feel like I'm done. Uh, so how do you know your personal limits? And then how do you say no, thank you? Um, and uh, a lot of us do struggle with not wanting to hurt somebody else's feelings or feeling guilty uh, for saying no or feel or for saying like, I can't do this. So first it's like noticing where are your limits? How can you tell? And that's usually by our body. So our body might start to react, our heart starts to race, maybe you get a pit in our stomach or we get this sense of like just wanting to push away. Uh, and then our thoughts can tell us like, I don't want to do this. I don't know how to get out of this. Uh, I need this to stop. This person is annoying me, right? Uh, kind of this negative dialogue starts to come up. So when that happens, you're getting a sense of you need some boundaries. And one way of starting that is thinking through like, where do you feel safest in starting to practice some boundary setting? And that's usually with people you feel safest with, like your best friend, your parents, your partner, your kind of um, best coworker, and then being able to practice setting some boundaries. And that could be, hey, I can't do that this week, but I can do it next Wednesday. Or, um, you know, mom, I hear that you really want me to come to dinner. I'm feeling really overwhelmed this week. Can we just revisit a dinner next month? So you're practicing setting boundaries rather than just saying, sure, I can get that done. Or, oh, like, I don't want to go to a dinner, but now I feel like I have to because I can't say no. And she's going to be disappointed. And then you go to dinner and you're feeling irritable, uh, all because you were afraid to say no. And people might get upset with you uh, that you're saying no, but ultimately when you do set those boundaries, people tend to respect them. But when you hold them, what you do is you increase your well-being and your emotional bandwidth so that you're, you have more room to give to yourself and everybody else. So that's why I think understanding what your personal limits are and then thinking about where you wanna set boundaries can be so helpful um, for your mental health and just for your relationships in general. Yeah. Uh, what about if somebody has a boss? I know a lot of people that I work with, I do nutrition coaching and we'll have conversations about how they can't get to bed earlier because they have to be on all the time and their boss or even coworkers or someone on their team will be texting them even when they're making dinner or after dinner, do you recommend a certain way or a style of conversation to have with coworkers or a boss that wants you to be on call, I guess, up until the moment you go to bed? Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely been more kind of infused in the culture now that it, well, people are still working from home. Um, that kind of 
increased dramatically, I think, for people uh, two years ago, right, Um, where you're now responding to email notifications at like 11 o'clock at night because your phone's going off. Uh, And before it was maybe having a bit more freedom to sign off on the notifications because you knew you were going to go into the office tomorrow. Um, And that culture has definitely shifted. So there are ways that you can have these conversations. It depends on your relationship with your boss and your coworkers, but one could be, hey, I notice that I'm responding till you know 10 o'clock at night and it's actually making it harder for me to get to sleep. So just so you know, I think after six o'clock, I'm not going to be responding because I need to kind of be there for my family or you know anything if it's urgent. Uh, you can text me. That's something else that someone has done that uh, we've kind of worked on is if it's urgent, you can send it to me. If it can wait until, you know, the next day at, you know, 9 a.m., I will respond. Um, but if you're going to send me an email and it's not urgent, I will get back to you at the next, you know, business day. Some people have put that on their email. <laughs> so anytime somebody sends it, sends them an email, it's a, like a disclaimer of, if this is urgent, please text me. If it's not, I will respond within the next business day. So people are aware of that. And it they can, people have had conversations with their bosses about this. Like, here is what is happening. Uh, it is hard to be on. Uh, people are responding at like one o'clock in the morning. Uh, that is not mentally healthy. Uh, that is going to increase burnout. So having those limits placed is going to help you. John or Jane, your coworker, can respond at one o'clock in the morning if they want to. Uh, that is their mental health. But for your health, um, setting that boundary is going to be helpful. And the bottom line is you will get your work done. Um, and an email going out at 10 o'clock or one o'clock in the morning, all that shows is that you're up, but your quality of work not, might not be that great because who has you know, the, the brain cells that are firing at 10 or one o'clock in the morning, if you've been on for the past 12 to 14 hours. Um, so that's why I think setting those boundaries and having conversations with people can be helpful. Um, and there are different ways that you can set those boundaries. You can talk about it, or you can set an email, uh, notification, or you can just tell people I'm not responding and shut off email notifications after five o'clock. Um, I've had people do that and it's been tremendously helpful. They have not been fired uh, as they thought that they would. Um, They were so afraid of, you know, that they would not be engaged in this kind of culture. Um, But then other people kind of noticed and followed suit. So they were kind of a trendsetter in this kind of mental health and well-being. So um, there's so many ways to set boundaries. Of course, I can go on and on about it, but that's kind of where I would start. And to the point of being fired, I mean, I'm sure you saying that, first of all, if your boss says, no, you have to respond to me at one in the morning, I think that could be a sign that you want to not work for that company anymore. But then, uh, like you said, you could be the trendsetter of maybe your boss taking a step back and thinking, huh, maybe I shouldn't be sending messages at one o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Right. And a lot of what people do is that you're assuming that because other people are doing it, you have to, or there's this now expectation without having a conversation about it. 
people are surprised that when you have a conversation, a lot of what you're doing is assuming. So you assume if you don't respond, it's going to look bad. Your boss is going to be upset when your boss could maybe not even notice, right? Um, or it's like, of course, it's not that important. I don't care that, you know, of course you're on vacation. You don't have to respond. But if you don't have those conversations, you're all you're left with are assumptions. And that's when we get into trouble, we start doing things based on what we think people are thinking and feeling. Um, and again, we're not mind readers, so you won't know unless you ask. And and usually our worst case thoughts are rarely true. Right. You have another blog post called Thinking Your Way to Feeling Better. And I am such a firm believer in the power of positive thought and mindset. I'd love to hear your tips for that. So thinking your way to feeling better, uh, that blog was um, kind of what I talk about all day. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. It's you can't change the mountain, which is essentially the problem, um, but you can change your view. Uh, and your viewpoint right now might be based on the emotion you're feeling, anxiety, depression, worry, stress. But if you can change your viewpoint, you can see the same problem from a different angle, which gives you more clarity um, and takes you out of the emotion and into a different way to problem solve. Uh, and when you think better, you feel better. It's proven. Research has been like done for many, many, many years on this. When we feel better, we think better. Um, when we're more anxious, for example, our thoughts are going to be more anxious. So you can feel anxious. Things are going to happen where you feel anxious and stressed. And instead of letting those anxious thoughts dictate what you do and what view you see, you can essentially start to find ways to shift your thinking about the problem so that you actually start to feel better. And when you do that, you actually rewire your brain so that what once used to feel like a mountain to you no longer does, or when that mountain shows up, you no longer go to the automatic viewpoint of doom. <laughs> you go to the viewpoint of, oh, I've seen the show before and I know how to get out of it. So it builds confidence, it builds resilience. Um, and so that's why I really like thinking your way to feeling better because that uh, it's, it's proven that it works. And when you put in the work, you actually see the results. Uh, fairly quickly. Um, and so that's the the blog post I wrote was a lot about cognitive behavioral therapy and why it works and how to use it. And I definitely want to link, uh, we'll hear where everybody can follow and find you at the end, but I'll link to your website and so people can do a deeper dive into each of these posts if they want. Because um, again, it's really just a rich resource, I think, of what you've collected on your website. Well, thanks, Brooke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you also have one called How to Manage Stress in Uncertain Times. Um, <laughs> coming off of COVID, that was a lot. And then now we have all of these crises going on in the world, especially with Russia and Ukraine. What, I mean, how do you even begin? That's a mountain, right, of just world stressors. How do you advise to manage stress? Do you have any sort of actionable, even just two minute things you advise for people to do when they're feeling they're most stressed by the news of the world, let's say? So a lot of it is uncertain. Um, and that's kind of what COVID did to all of us. It just opened the door to uncertainty and 
ta-da, we just have more uncertainty, but like in these really huge life-changing, um, global changing events. Uh, so what do you do? You focus on the smaller things that you can control and that help you feel grounded, right? So a, a lot of anxiety and stress manifests in feeling uncertain. These are uncertain times. The more we focus on the big global uncertainty, the more stressed and anxious we can become. So try to think about slivering it down. It doesn't mean those problems go away or you're ignoring them. It just means looking at what are the things you can control today that are going to help you feel safe and grounded and taking care of yourself. That can be as small as going to work, doing the laundry, making your lunch. Like those things are certain. And when you focus on the certainty, it helps manage those feelings of uncertainty the other is thinking about kind of world events and wanting to do something about it and not knowing what to do and then feeling overwhelmed and stressed, slivering it down again and keeping it small with, well, are there things that you can do in your community that help people? Um, is there something that you want to donate or give to a certain cause? It doesn't have to be monetary, but there are different ways you can start to research how do you give back? Um, and when you do that, not only does it help manage the uncertainty, but when we give back to other people, not only are we helping people, it gives a sense of meaning and purpose in our lives. Uh, so that's why contributions is one of the coping strategies I talk about, probably in one of my blog posts somewhere. When we give back, it helps us feel better. Uh, because we're also helping other people. So uh, the the big issues of uncertainty, I just say sliver it down, keep it small, start with today, think about the things you can control, and go from there. The term mantra, I think, has been kind of hijacked by influencers or something, and it can be kind of woo-woo. But I love to talk about mantras with coaching clients, anything that kind of resonates with them that could help just stick with a certain new habit they're starting. You have a post called how to find your mantra. Can you explain more about that? So I think mantras can be really helpful in getting us through really difficult times. Um, it's a way to, it, adds to building resilience. Like you can do this. Uh, you've been through hard things before you can do this now. Um, and my own personal mantra, um, is if it makes me anxious, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, and that has been very helpful for me professionally and personally. Um, and, uh, there was a time in my life where, um, like, things were colliding. It was, um, you know, trying to get pregnant. My therapist, different therapist, um, uh, Arvel of 17 years suddenly passed away. So she, it was like this big collision uh, of life events that were kind of life changing. And I wanted to go see um, my favorite musician, Ani DeFranco, um, who got me through my 20s. Um, so, Ani, if you're listening, thank you very much. Um, and uh, wanting to see her, she was playing in Scotland. 
And it made me a little nervous to think about like going on my own. My husband didn't want to go. And I was just like, well, I really want to see her. And this is before we get pregnant. Arville just passed away. Like, I, I feel like I need something, but I'm scared to do it. And I thought, you know what, if this makes me, I, I really want to have this opportunity. Why am I going to let anxiety dictate what I do? And that's when I had this mantra, if it makes me anxious, I'm going to do it anyway. And it was that moment that I booked the ticket. I went, I had amazing time. It helped me build confidence and resilience in myself. But I also took that through my practice and the work I do on the Progress Wellness brand, the Worry to Well Balance brand, my own psychotherapy practice. So mantras can be so much. And um, when you find the right one, um, it can really be kind of um, elevating for your spirit. So I think that, you know, mantras can be so much more than, you know, you've got this babe. <laughs> it can it can go a long way. So would you advise somebody kind of looking inward of what is the thing, for example, anxiety that's holding them back from life experiences and then turning it into a more empowering statement like you did? Is that kind of how we could create our own? Yeah, it's really looking at, you know, what what are you going through in this moment? And then how do you, yes, find your own inner mantra that gives you the confidence that you can do it. Like this is going to be hard and believing in yourself that you can do it. Um, and mm-hmm. having a statement or even a, a phrase or a word that really resonates with you, it might take some time to find it, but when you do find it, it can be a real game changer in how you lead your life. Yeah. I know for myself, starting a business and uh, just trying, I've always been a perfectionist, very type A. And so one that I repeat to myself all the time is progress, not perfection, Mm -hmm. or done is better than perfect. I say that to myself all the time, just publish the Instagram post, you know, put the I have a group program out there, put the video out there, just done is better than perfect, move on. Um, or I know another popular one that I've been using presently, I have a broken leg currently severely broken leg. And so I've been telling myself I can do hard things, you know, like this is hard, but I've got this, I've done it. Like you're saying, I've done this in the past. I've done hard things in the past. And it's incredible how just that quick reminder to yourself of even just five words is that five words? <laughs> I'm like counting on my fingers. Five words can even just change your mentality or your attitude for the entire day. Right. Yes. Like now is not forever um, mm. is a, another big one. So yes, absolutely. It can be just just a nice course correction that you need so yeah. that like the other skills can kind of come in and you can start, you know, practicing self-compassion or reframing those negative thoughts. So Having a mantra is actually a pretty good thing to have in your back pocket if you, if you, you know, if that kind of jives with what works for you. Hmm. I know we're coming up on time, but I ask each of my guests a final question, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? So for me, I think making the health investment is you like acknowledging you're making yourself a priority and it doesn't mean you're number one all of the time, but you're in your top five. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that means that almost like, um, 
you know, investing in the market and you're, you're investing in yourself, you want to see a return on your investment. So the more you invest in yourself, the bigger the return. And you also want to diversify your portfolio. So you don't want it just in one thing. You want to kind of consider um, the health investment for you in a wider range. So it's not just about like going to the gym. It's also like going to the dentist, seeing your doctor, going out with friends, reading a book, having some downtime, taking a vacation. Uh, you know, all of these things are ways that you can invest in yourself and make yourself a priority. So that's kind of how I see health investment. Yeah. I love that. The diversification. I always use money analogies as well because it is so parallel, I think. Um, I talk about small changes you're making compounding over yes. time just as your money does. I mean, it just lends such a great <laughs> wealth of analogies, if you will, to health uh, as well. Uh I know you have a, a masterclass and a program called Worried to Well-Balanced, and I've mentioned your blog. I'd love if you could share a bit about Worried to Well-Balanced and then also where listeners can follow and find you. So my, my Worried to Well-Balanced masterclass um, is uh, pretty much what I consider my mini dissertation in stress management. It's everything that I teach in my sessions in about six to eight sessions it's got everything um, from everyday stressors, how do you manage social anxiety, work stress, how do you get better sleep when you're stressed out, um, how to combat procrastination and avoidance when you're stressed. So I really tried to think about um, if you can't go to therapy, you're not sure if you want to go to therapy, but you know you want to work on some things, how do you get those tips and strategies? So that's really where I developed the Worry to Well-Balanced Masterclass. Um, and wanted to give a robust um, course so that, you, one, you will always have the course. So no matter where you are, you can kind of go to it. And that at different times in our lives, stress impacts other things. So somebody might feel like they're really stressed out at work. So that module really resonates with them. And then six months later, it's like, wait a second, I'm procrastinating more than I thought I was. So they pick up that module and then it's just like, oh, I have to go back to the office and get out more and see friends. And now I'm having more social anxiety and this networking stuff. And then you pick up that module. So it's trying to find ways where people can have easy access to what I teach without having to necessarily meet with me. Um, so that's kind of where I got the Worry to Well-Balanced course idea. Um, and it's filled with all the, the goodies that I think I kind of teach in, in sessions. And then if people want to find me, um, you can find me on Instagram, Progress Wellness. And you can also email me, Angela, at progresswellness.com. Those are probably the two easiest places to find me. Awesome. I will link all of those things up in the show notes so they're easily clickable. And I want to thank you so much for the tips you've shared today. I know I've learned a lot and I know my audience will be grateful for your wisdom as well. Thank you so much, Brooke. This was a lot of fun. And thank you to your listeners. I hope to see um, people around. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week.
All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.